This episode is brought to you commercial-free by our friends at Target. What's up, Black Love fam and first-time fam? Welcome to another edition of Man to Man, a part of the Black Love Podcast Network. I'm David Wazicki, GM of Black Love, and today we're going to talk to a man who has many titles. He's a force in the fitness, health, and wellness world entrepreneur, Nike master trainer, health and performance consultant, fitness and wellness columnist for GQ magazine, masterclass, yes, that masterclass instructor and founder of the Ocho system, which we'll definitely get into. I think it's something that's beautiful. I think it's something that should be ingrained in everybody's wellness. And you'll see why when we jump into that. But before I start getting ahead of myself, let's get man to man with the Joe Ocho System Holder. <laughs> What's up, brother? What's up? Thank you for that very warm introduction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Glad to have you. Listen, I think all the work that you do, you've done, you continue to do uh, is por- is important. And I think especially with the community that we speak to, the community that I feel is um, somewhat underserved in a way. I think, you know, there's a lot of information out there, but I think with everything, it's a matter of how do you get access and how do you become aware? You don't know what you don't know, right? So, yeah. yeah so I think in, in your case, you know, you, you've, you've been creating a wealth of knowledge and information um, that again, I want to be able to get into your democratization of wellness, which I love. That's a phrase you 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 mentioned a few months ago, and I'm all about it. But before we do, let's do my icebreaker question to get you man to man blue check certified, as we say around these parts. And <laughs> and it's one question to get the seal of approval. You ready, Joe? Yeah, let's do it. What does masculinity mean to you? Oh uh, wow. Um yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, masculinity to me is uh, uh, is really just kind of like stepping up to the plate and, and being fully kind of involved and immersed in all the different capacities of, of what it means to be to be a man. So I think it's both, you know, biological and it's both also kind of structural. Mm-hmm. So it means being a supporter, but it doesn't it also means being in touch with your vulnerable side so you can connect with the individuals and be an empath. It means, you know not running away from, you know, maybe those things that we are supposed to be. It's okay to be strong. It's okay to be there for other people. It's okay to be an anchor point, but it's also okay to feel. So, you know, true, true, you know, masculinity is basically like taking, taking the best of, of what it means to be a man, but making it uh, applicable and bringing it to life in a way that isn't, you know, either toxic or a situation that doesn't allow you to be in the full feeling of who you are. I love that. I love that. And like I say every week, like a snowflake, never had two answers to this thing. <laughs> so thank you for that. And while we're kind of touching on masculinity, so one thing you were involved in was sports. And somebody in your family history played in the Negro Leagues. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a good that's a good catch. My grandpa did. <laughs> Yeah, my grandpa was like, yeah, he was really in it. He played for, I'm pretty sure he played for the Monarchs. And he, 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 uh, yeah, he played in for the same club that I think Jackie Robinson initially also came up in. And he was good. He was a catcher. Um, he was, he played with one of the first women who I think kind of like desegregated the league. Wow. Yeah, he was a he was he was a legend. So. Yeah, it's in my blood. I was gonna say that's dope. It, it's like <laughs> it's like somehow, some some way, so some form, this was just destined to b- bring out something in in the in the fitness wellness realm. And then also, your parents were are excuse me health conscious. So did you repel at an early age? And I'm gonna ask this in a couple of ways because I'm a parent. I have a three and a half going on 30 <laughs> uh, toddler right now. <laughs> and I'm trying, I'm trying yeah. to ingrain healthy habits early. So she'll see certain things like she sees mommy and daddy exercising. She's like, Oh, I want to exercise too. With you having your grandfather, you know, playing in the Negro league, you have 
um, your parents being health conscious. I, I don't even know how early this caught on with you, but did you ever rebel from that? Where you're like, green juice, mom, nah, or was it always, <laughs> always approached to you in such a way where it just was second nature for you? No, I mean, my parents made it palatable. I think some of my other siblings may have rebelled a little bit, but to me, I just found it so, I just found stuff like that so interesting. Like, you know, I, I'm messing around in my dad's, you know, medicine and supplement cabinet because the crib was attached to the, the office was attached to the house. And just seeing what he did with patients and seeing, you know, there's a funny story. Like there's, like he would do blood tests on us at a young age just to make sure we were all good. And a funny story was like one day he was coming to my school for show and tell. And without him knowing, I took some of the butterfly needles and like put it in my backpack and like one of them fell out and I got in trouble on the way to school because some parents saw it. But like all that stuff is always interesting. You know, my mom, you know, composting and her juicing and me being in the kitchen and seeing that and the food just tasted so good. Yeah. And um, and then going to school and, you know, you know, I used to have a lunchbox. Like my mom would make me salads for lunch as part of it. And everybody like, Joe, why are you eating like that? Da, da, da. That type of thing. <laughs> but it was all in good fun. So I never, I mean, I maybe rebelled a little bit when I got to college, but that's, but I always found it super interesting. The fact that that's what around what I grew up in. Yeah. And, you know, I think all parents will struggle with their kids because there becomes a point in a, in childhood where the, the kid separates themselves from the parent because that's just a part of the maturation. And then that child now sees eventually their parent as a whole standalone human. And that typically often repairs the relationship later in life if done right. Uh But uh at the end of the day, you, as I think the responsibility of a, as a parent, especially a black parent is to make sure that you create a context in which it is for your child to flourish. Now, if the child wants to make a decision later in life that they don't want to live that life, totally fine. But like, why have the child discover the proper way to live or a better way to live later in life? That's just, that'd be very bizarre. So I think, you know, my parents took their, took their knowledge and, and created both for better and for worse, but mostly for the better a situation for us to flourish. And that's a, a aspect of why it comes so natural and easy to me because I was raised in it and there's now things that I continue to learn and thought processes that I apply, but, I'm, I didn't rebel yeah. because I'm just, I'm, I was always curious. Like I was just a curious kid, if, if you know, so I, yeah, it just clicked for me. No, nah, that's dope. I, I appreciate that. And thanks for sharing those anecdotes. Again, you know, I selfishly had to ask that because, you know, every kid's going to be different. There are going to be those kids that are going to rebel. There are those that'll be like 18 years later. Ah, that's what mom and dad were talking about. Oh, I see the importance of this. Yeah, it's like why are you why are you worried if your kid is going to rebel? Yeah. If yeah. you're not, unless unless you're if you're brutish or overbearing or you're doing something wrong, sure. But it's like this. This is no offense, but I see this a lot now. It's like it's your kid doesn't know best. Like stop acting like because a kid is very demonstrative or a kid is very so called independent or a kid you know has these so-called steadfast feelings yeah. and they at that age like their kid thinks their emotion is knowledge and that's not true and i think it's very important even as if the more that we act like a kid's I, do not blunt a kid's feelings but the more that we act like a kid's feelings makes truth then they struggle later in life with not understanding how to put it all together that just because you feel some way that means how you feel is true. Right. And I think that's a problem that we have. And I think that's why sports were very important for me. That's why having parents who were loving, but also honest was very important for me. Because when you play sports at a young age, it's clear cut. There are rules and there are winners and there are losers. But just because you lose doesn't mean you're a loser. Right. But you have to understand that there are parameters in which generalized truths are established. If somebody scores more points on the other team, the other team won. There's no debating. Right. You know, it's like the Jay-Z line. It's like, but it's, it's like moral victories are for minor league coaches. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And it becomes a point, I think. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like when you're raising a kid, it's like, oh, my kid might rebel. And uh, if you're, exp- of course, explaining and have your rearing practices, but a child doesn't know best. It's on you to know best. Yeah. And then allow that child later in life to make their decisions. But I just, you know, I don't want to go on a tangent, but I just think we give too much credence and too much validity to things we shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with it. And by the way, go on any tangent you like. 
that's what we do here. We keep it open. We keep it honest. I'm, I'm not trying to stick to a script, but I love that. No, I look, I feel that way. And I also think, okay, I'm, I'm going to go here and tap in. You don't have to go here with me, but I think this is, this is the way of things, not just when it comes to children. I think this is, this is how society has kind of been shaped most recently when it comes to ideals or perceive this is how I'm supposed to do it, or I believe if I believe in one ideology, then I'm supposed to be this way, or I'm supposed to be that way, or if I'm Democrat, I'm supposed to be woke in all these boxes, I'm supposed to cancel yeah, yeah, all yeah. these type of people, I'm supposed to, you know, supposed to, should, should, should. Yeah. And you, you know, you start shooting on yourself with these things and you're not taking into context or having your own critical thought. So I think that goes into, uh, you know, that's kind of akin to what you were just saying with, with parenting where, listen, kids are going to have their emotions, but you also have your way of guiding. And again, once they're 18, make the decision, you have to put in place those things that are, that are best for, you know, him, her, them as, as they grow. Yeah, I agree. So, so you brought up sports and good segue with that, because there's one thing in particular, you know, if folks don't know, you know, you had a, I think, stellar background in sports touch, you know, multi-sport athlete going to the U of Pennsylvania (laughs) as as a, as a (laughs) trigger. So you have this stellar career, you have this injury. But the part of the injury that I'd like to go into in terms of recovery, and now I don't want to put words uh, in your mouth as I'm about to say this, so please correct me if I'm wrong here. But I know you've said many a times that that was this pivotal point where you started looking at wellness and having to just reassess holistically, mind, body, spirit, just look at all the things as it related to wellness as a result of that injury. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I think there comes to a point in anybody's mm-hmm. life um, where you have to come out the other side of trauma, right? So I had an ankle injury that left me unable to play for about a year and a half. It was very confusing. I couldn't get a clear diagnosis. But you also then, there's the underlying feeling that just something generally isn't right. And then I think you reflect back on other areas of your life where you might not have fully understood why that was. So for me, what put it all together, everybody has a story, right? Of a few things. One, you go to, you go to college and you take a philosophy class and then all of a sudden you're like questioning the world as it is, right? right? There's not just that, but there's also questioning the world as why it couldn't be better. So Mm -hmm. I took a course called positive psychology that was taught by Angela Duckworth that had me look at basically high achievement as abnormal abnormal in the sense that there are more people that are at there are people that are average right and of course we want to focus on what makes people messed up but what about if what makes people essentially better that also is abnormal so if you could also learn how to be a little bit better whether it be through resilience grit detailing your talents so that was one of the courses that i picked up because after the football injury when i was finally able to come back i took on a minor of of, uh, psychology and marketing in school but to your point was was like i fully realized like i was depressed in that moment dealing with that injury because i couldn't play but i also realized like coming up that i was overlooking certain ways and how i was feeling right Mm -hmm. like i was a super anxious kid you know i remember being at like track nationals right and i would have to you know run to the bathroom five times before the start of a race Mm -hmm. like that's not normal, right? Or it's like you you have a slight chip on your shoulder. You're, I was more anxious before football games than I was before basketball games. I felt more natural playing basketball. Like, why is that? Yeah. You know, why why is that the case? Why did I, even if I was practicing well, I always felt like I had something to prove or whatever. So you go to dig more into these feelings and it becomes a situation. And this is what I think needs to be discussed in a mental health concept now. You touch on mental health, so you come back stronger and you build more grit, right? Like you create, whether you want to call it a champion's mindset or whatever, right? right. right? So this thought process, when we think about mental health, that like something's always wrong, although that might be the root cause that I discovered in college, you also could formulate things that make it more right. So it's this thought process like of also utilizing mental health or meditation or mindfulness, whatever, to become more resilient. Not just because you're weak or need to bounce back, but because I I essentially just want to be stronger and have the proper mental fortitude. So in college, 
that's where I first started to chip away at that. I was like, oh, maybe my body isn't healing because I'm not mentally of where I need to be. And then, you know, now the research is coming out about the healing processes of, the, of your mental state, how, uh, how emotions impact the body. You know, the body kind of keeps the score type energy. So, yeah, and I haven't overlooked that to this day. So, I mean, I, I still think I kind of I struggle with mild depression and here and, and, and again, now and again. But I'm able to now better deal with it because I understand what's actually happening. So that football moment helped me fully understand, like, what it was that I was feeling, what it is, what, how do I come to terms with, you know, sometimes not fully feeling right in this world. And is that necessarily a bad thing? Uh, some argue not. Some are, you know, I'm not saying I'm highly intelligent, but there are, you know, studies that suggest that more highly intelligent people have emotional disturbances, and you know, maybe because they're more self-aware, people have emotional disturbances. So, you know, I've 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 learned, I think, to not keep rambling, but to fully become in tune with my feelings, and I understood that through the feeling of not being able to do something that I loved, which was football. Hmm. So I, uh, so yes, you've you know, over time have arrived at this point, but in the throes of that, did you know at the time you were depressed? I mean, something's up because I I wasn't going to class, you know, I was, you know, doing other stuff. (laughs) Um, Like, yeah, you're just doing stuff you shouldn't be doing. Sure, sure. You're doing stuff that's legal now that you were doing (laughs) that wasn't legal then, you know, it's just like too much. Um, so, but no, you know, this is why I say you got to lean on your support system. Like I went to CAPS, which is basically kind of a, you know, a mental health a support system that UPenn had. I didn't like the therapist, but she basically let me know. She was like, yo, you're, you're probably struggling with depression. And I was like, all right, that's real. And, you know, at the time I probably ran from it. I was like, oh, no, I'm not depressed. Sure. But, uh, but I knew something was wrong. And then when I finally started to, my body finally started to heal when I think I accepted that fact. And I think it's allowed me to become a better person overall because you you know it impacts your relationships if you if you try to run from your own mind. But did I know at the time? Yeah, I don't know, uh, not fully, but I knew something was off. Sure. And then it's on you to to discover a bit more, yeah. especially you know if you have the time or the resources around you to do so. Yeah. So I I mean I had a bad uh, depressive bout for about three years, and then to your point of these mild, you know, episodes here and there, I get them. And, you know, that that's led to certain practices, morning routines, daily routines to keep myself, you know, in check and keep a a steady rhythm. So I don't stray too far this direction or the other direction. Um, But, you know, I asked, you know, if, if you knew, because to the point of resources, so many of the men that I've conversed with on this podcast, usually it's, it's okay. I go to a therapist and it's later in life that they figure this out. But again, in college, and I, I can't think of now looking back on how many people I knew in the past when I was a teenager, when I was, you know, coming of age, so to speak, where I felt like, you know, a lot more people did have depression or did have these, you know, mental instabilities, whether it be community-based, environmental-based, I should say, not community-based. Community would probably help them out of that if it were the right community, but environmentally-based food, as we're learning, you know, that's a huge, huge, and I had a terrible diet, uh, (laughs) especially from coming up from, from where I was, like, honey buns from the bodega was considered lunch and that ain't it. Um, knowing that years later now. Right. But again, you don't know what you don't know. So being able to lock in, what do you think helps somebody that, you know, is around the way, doesn't follow someone like yourself, doesn't listen to this podcast. What do you think is the thing to help them become more aware that there is help or that there is a set of resources just by, you know, Googling? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. Uh, I think somebody has to introduce them to it. Like I had, te- like I had parents, I had teachers and that's why, you know, my, whatever, one can help others. Each one teach one. It's just like, we have these theoretical conversations all the time. And it's just like, fuck it for lack of a better term. It, it, it's just like, go and t- show up and just tell somebody yeah. that these things exist. Yeah. 
right? And that's why I think volunteering and things like that are important because somebody needs to be introduced to it and then it eventually clicks for them at some point in time. But, you know, we have all these conversations about how do we reach this person or so-and-so. It's like, all right, you, you show up. Or the government needs to show up. The government is going to take a little bit of a longer time. Yeah. So the situation that needs to be, you know, there needs to be, of course, marketing messages, infrastructure change. But what if, <laughs> now hear me out, but just what if we all made the decision to go help one other person who does not have access to these things? Like, what if? Like, so that's my thing. It's like, you know, the Black Panthers didn't sit around and say, you know, how can we get these kids to have food? They set up right. kitchens right. and cook food and said, here's the right. food. So that's my thing. It's just you got to put the plate in front of people. And that's really what my mission is about. It's that, look, at the end of the day, if I can't reach everybody, but I can reach someone, let me set up an infrastructure, right? So even take exercise sacks. If I sat back and I thought, how are we going to reach people? How can I get people to to, to work out more? Da, da, da. Yeah. Or I could just say, okay, whatever. I'm going to set this up. And then people who will show up will like to use it. And hopefully other people will then be exposed to it. So my thought process with all that is you have to, in short, you got to lobby for change. So you have to get involved with local government and community government. The other thing, you got to show up in your own communities. So, you know, your community just in your specific neighborhood, the, the surrounding areas to show up, introduce, introduce people to it. And that's really the only way that I think it could start. I think it has to start from a micro level and then we, and then there has to be macro essentially messages, but I think there just needs to be less talk about the theory behind mm. all this, because at the end of the day, that's just a little bit of, of, of wasted, wasted time. Yeah, no, I'm totally with it. And I know, you know, again, through what I see on the gram, not knowing you personally, but seeing your efforts and what you set up. And if I get this wrong, pardon me, and please state what it is so people can look at it. But uh, a system for service. Is is that your nonprofit yeah, system, of, system service. of service? Excuse me. Close yeah. <laughs> yeah, system of service. Yeah, but it's just like, you know, that, you know, I studied, I always thought I would probably go get an MPH, Masters in Public Health, and I probably will at some point, you know, I'm still young. Um, but it was, I studied sociology of the concentration of health and medicine in school, and I studied psychology and marketing. So I studied on a macro change, how change happens, also on a micro change, how the, how the mind is essentially changed or warped. And, you know, with system of service, it's basically a nonprofit, the nonprofit that just likes to help set up infrastructure for people to participate. Because one of the classes that changed my mind, and everybody should read this book, we helped him on his book, is uh, Contagious by Jonah Berger. He was a professor okay. at UPenn in the Wharton School. I took one of his classes. And everybody just thinks that facts work. When it's not facts, it's basically you either convince somebody by emotion or you convince somebody by setting up infrastructures for participation. Right. So I always took that into consideration. And then you have to come to a point and say, look, the problems you're going to try to solve are, will likely be bigger than you, right? So it's like take for abolitionists, for example. Mm. And abolitionists, even though they try to end slavery, they didn't end Jim Crow. But did they do something, did it help do something that was worthwhile? Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like, okay, you know, MLK helped end, end Jim Crow-style laws, but he didn't fully get to do his vision of, say, creating an integrated class solidarity through his, his, his working party vision that of course he was assassinated before it got to take part. So the thought process is we often don't start or try to do these things because we think we want to create this bigger change. And it's not worthy of us just to start small in some way. The system of service really is just a social, it's just a social club oriented around service. And I then work with other companies and brands and individuals just to say, look, the, and this is, I think is the millennial curse. And you, we see this in a lot of areas. Millennials think they know best instead of sometimes taking, I don't want to sound like an old man yelling at clouds, <laughs> yeah. but sometimes they take a step back and look at people who are already working on these problems, then look at the access we have and connect the dots, right? So I, I'm going to pay respect and, and deference to people who have been in the hood and been trying to figure out these problems forever. I'm going to say, let me go get you more help and I'll try to kind of bridge these gaps. So that's what system of service really tries to do. But at the end of the day, I just decided to start something, yeah. right? And it, and it takes time and it takes years, but that's really what it's about. So companies have all this money and at the end of the day for them, it's a tax write-off. And, you know, my vision and not everybody agrees with it. You know, I guess it might be a little libertarian, but 
companies can be faster moving government. So if I can mm. get access to those funds and apply it and give it out to people who need it the most, because at the end of the day, is it that people are hungry or is it that wages are too low, right? So it's like most food banks right. are sponsored by supermarkets that might not be paying their employees enough. So may, you know, maybe it's just people just need money. Yeah. Like why try to overlook that? So, you know, not to get too much into, you know, the political theory behind this, it's just that I decided to set up a nonprofit because I wanted to help people. And I was like, there becomes a point in your life where you realize the problem that you're trying to solve will likely not be solved in your lifetime, but you have to start somewhere. And I've just decided to start somewhere. No, I love that. Again, there's quite a few handles that that's under your social profile. I think your IG one in particular, where you see this, you see exercise snacks and, and all of these efforts, as you just highlighted, taking action and starting and utilizing your resources and what you have available to get to these points. And they're all effective. I mean, I, you know, personally, I utilize exercise snacks ever since this pandemic thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thank you. Pandemic thing uh, t- uh, took place because yeah, I, I was at home, I was trying to figure out I can't go to a gym, they've locked me out of the gym, I got to utilize my resources outdoors. But then I'm also sitting, you know, at a desk when I'm not even when I'm doing this podcast now, I'm still seated. So how do I keep myself mobilized when I get up every 30 minutes to an hour? In comes in your exercise snacks. And I'm like, oh, okay. You you got some mobility and movement and flexibility and things to just keep one mobile, myself in particular. So thank you. But I I, I think overall that is a set of examples, right? Uh, of taking these steps, utilizing resources, leveraging financial resources in in particular to be able to make the needle move. So I'm about it. I appreciate it. I hope it helps others who are listening to this to do that. You know, I myself, I, you know, I will consider myself guilty of, oh, thinking about all of these ways and not moving that needle. But yeah, to your point, you just have to, you got to start, talk to or connect with, you know, someone or see what resources you have or yourself, just go volunteer or go speak to a young person you may have seen or go speak to, you know, that person that you feel like needs the support. And if you have it up here or if you have it on, you know, a phone or what, what have you, print it out, send the email, text the link and get that, get that process and that openness to that information started because it's all about again resources and being able to yeah i mean you know one of my you know one of my dudes r.i.p was virgil right and his saying was if you want to make a t-shirt go print after this conversation is done go print a t-shirt right and it might not be successful at first and you know i remember one of the first events that i tried to throw in college nobody showed up but i had a lot of learnings from it I, i then understood how to make it better so it's that situation of, I think, you know, it's a little bit of the dreamer complex where a lot of times we get caught up in thinking, 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 thinking. And also, I think it's a lot of bit of the star complex that if we do something, we want it, we sometimes want to be front facing or mm-hmm. we want it to be this huge, big thing. It's like at the end of the day, not everybody, you know, even the last player on the bench in the NBA team is still making a difference. And they're also making money, but they're also making a difference, right? They're still an integral part of that practice squad or whatever. So. That's my thing. I, I look at health as a design system. So that's really what, you know, the Ocho system is a theoretic theory is situated around that. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's like, okay, where can I scale my thought, my thought process through existing partners, whether that be whatever GQ, Nike, my workplaces, or can that also be my own ideas? And I think, you know, when I came to a crossroads, I had to make a decision. It's like, of course, I wish I could be bigger, but do I want to make tangible impact or do I just want to have a big reach that really doesn't that really doesn't do anything yeah so I think in the social media world sometimes you have to make that decision but I don't know it's just like there's a real world out there with with real things happening and if if not you then who because mm-hmm. especially if you want to talk about conservatives if you want to talk about Trumpists if you want to talk about whomever you know they call it the the precinct strategy which is basically you get on the ground, you get local, and you 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 get invested in the stakeholders. And sometimes the gift or the curse of progressives and liberals, and we spend a lot of time talking, and we spend a lot of time trying to trying to come to agreement with this is how it should be. You should do this or that instead of just go, yeah, go, yeah. go. Because yeah. someone else is, and you can take that same concept to your health. 
it's like, oh, is this diet the best? Or is this diet the best? Or is this workout the best? Or is it this or it's that? Like, hold up. Just move. Just move. 15 minutes. Just move. Yeah. Right. And it's like, okay, hold up. Let me not think if I need to do keto or I have to do paleo. I have to do this. It's like cut out processed foods, cut out processed foods, cut out processed foods. So it's just finding the least common denominator for action, mm. right? And then moving accordingly. And I think if you apply that to all areas of your life, whether that be your mental health, your emotional, your physical, or whether that be your community engagement, whatever that may be, what is the least common denominator that I could do right now? Before I try to solve calculus, <laughs> what is the arithmetic, yeah. right? You know? And then it's just, I, I think that I think that has impact, not just on the world, but also on you. So that's it. I live my life because I used to be, I think, be inundated by, you know, the curse of knowledge slightly. But it wasn't knowledge. It was just a curse of information. Mm. Like not, It's only knowledge when you apply yep. it. So I just wanted to simplify and then move. And then it kind of builds from there. I love that. I love that. With all of that said, let me ask you this, uh, because there is a lot of information out there that you've provided. And I hope... Uh, once listeners are done with this conversation, they definitely check you out socially. We'll, we'll shout out your, your handle. But for you, one question, you know, and people love to know, well, what do you do on a daily basis? What are your baseline rituals or your morning habit? So I got to ask you, what's that thing? What's that set of rules that Joe has over the course of a day in terms of overall health to keep yourself balanced? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a lot more simple than, than at least I think I am, but I'm a lot more simple than I think people think. So my thing is, is like, I'm very deliberate because I have just basically a lot to do. So my big things are, is just like not checking the phone first thing. Right. And it's like, I focus on, I just get into my body. Right. So I think, you know, I have a little embodiment practice in the mornings. Like you know, when you wake up and you always just want to move initially, I'm like, okay, hold yeah. up. Like, first off, it's like, where am I? So let me just think about that. It's like, just think about those little things. Like, okay, where am I? How, what am I feeling? Like, just, I take like 10 deep breaths and literally just get into my body. I do some wrist rolls. I do some ankle rolls. And because I used to wake up in a panic, mm. I'm like, I got so much to do today. I got to do this. Yeah. I this, and that. I'm like, all right, hold up, hold up. Let's just take a second. You, you like, you know, Ram Dass. Yeah, yeah. Like, you are here now. <laughs> yeah, like, be here now. Yeah. For a second, yeah. right? It's just like, yo, this shit is weird. Like, human existence is weird. It's just like, just take a second. And then from there, instead of, you know, checking the phone, you know, I I get out of bed and I, I immediately go in the shower because that just makes sure I can't be on my phone. So then I just kind of think about the day, think about yesterday, what do I is that I need to achieve. So for me, like just morning rituals are super important. And then I focus on, you know, hydration and digestion is my big ones in the morning. So I have some tea, I have some fruit. I keep it simple because I know if my stomach feels good, <laughs> typically the rest of my day feels good. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Some, you know, whatever microbiome or serotonin production, or however you want to describe it, but there's a lot of reasons for that. So my thing is, is that I just try to have daily practices that I know work for me. So morning routines and nighttime routines. And then the day is what the day is. So I'm, I'm not trying to fight work. Like th this is the thing that I think we all need to be more honest about is as much as we, many of us might not work like work, we have to work. So it's like, stop trying to fight work. It's like, why not build around it? And then those moments within it that will make everything feel a little bit better. Because if I wake up and my mind is all crazy, it's not that the work itself has changed. I just feel super awful doing the work. So that kind of messes everything up. So the thing is, is like, I like to add this saying that we, you know, we didn't consent to existence. I, I, I'm an absurdist. Like I'm a fan of Albert Camus or whatever. Like we didn't consent to existence, but we are here. So those aspects of existence that we don't have that much control over, say working, why am I trying to fight that instead of understanding how can I build around that to have me deal with what I might perceive as a shortcomings of existence, which is the fact that we have to work all day, which is yeah, crazy yeah. if you think about it. But I, I can't beat that. So then it's having the rituals, right? It's like, how do I eat? How do I move? How do I control the morning and the night? And, you know, like, while I'll, I'll tell people what I do, my thing really is you have to find what works for you, right? 
So you you know, me having doing the wrist rolls or whatever, try it out, but it might not work for you, right? It's my style of working out might not work for you, but working out does. So the thing becomes uh, for me, again, are just those key rituals. Control your morning, control your night, take a few mental breaks during the day. Also, make sure you eat because this is a thing that a lot of people don't realize, right? It's that the stuff you put in your mouth, your body thinks is safe. And mm. literally many of us just eat sickness. And this isn't like some overblown kind of Dr. Sebi stuff. It's literally <laughs> there's certain foods that will impact your body. Yeah. And if they say are too high in fat or too high in sugar, like your body has an inflammatory response. So you're literally eating sickness, right? So the thing becomes, I'm just very deliberate about what I put into my body. And it's not that I eat healthy all the time, but if I'm going to eat something that is not the best, I'm going to make the deliberate decision to do so. Mm. I'm not just going to make it on rope kind of movement. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, those are my ritualistic practices. It's I try to not eat, you know, three hours before bed. I try to stay off the internet a couple hours before bed. I try not to check my phone immediately. I make sure I hydrate. I make sure to eat because even if you don't work out, your body has what's called the BMR, which is a basal metabolic rate. So your body is churning through calories. For whatever reason we think that our body doesn't, a lot of people at least don't fully understand metabolism. So they don't think your body is burning calories unless you're working right, out, right. which is not the case. Like I'm sitting here all day and I'll burn 2,500 calories just by sitting, doing nothing. Now to, to your body as well, doing work, especially creative work, whether even if you're sitting, creative work is basically a low intensity exercise because your brain needs to, is using energy. So that's why scientists aren't sure how to describe being sedentary because yeah. even if I'm sitting in this chair the whole time, if I'm checking somebody's metabolism, right, it's that it is actually a little bit more active than if they were doing nothing. So that's why I'm very big on people who work at a desk. They have to eat well because your body needs those nutrients to keep going. Your body just doesn't need nutrients as some sort of award for working out. <laughs> right, right. So food right. and eating is also a ritual, right? Like that's why you say grace to calm you down. That's why you're it's literally a ritualistic movement constantly over and over. So those things where like people just take for granted for me are rituals too. And that's, you know, the sleep, that is the eating. All those things. So those things under my control in my day, those are rituals. Yeah. So everything that is under my control completely is a ritual. Everything else is like, all right, I kind of flow with the punches and deal with it as much as, as I can. But for things that are completely under your control, whether it's brushing your teeth, whatever, all those things have a ritualistic aspect to it. So how do you use that just to you know feel a little bit better in this weird thing called life? Yeah. No, I love that. And it, it sounds like a lot of what you mentioned too. I want to touch on the food in a second. Um, two things from what you mentioned. One, it seems like a lot of what you mentioned is this deliberateness to be mindful and aware and and present of the task at hand. So like you were mentioning, whether it's mental breaks, whether you're eating, you're, you're consciously aware of what you're ingesting when you're moving, when you're rolling or when you're in the shower or et cetera, whatever, whatever it is you're doing, there is a level of consciousness to it. And you mentioned, which I very much appreciate that I, I, I need to keep this thing going <laughs> with most people that come on here is not getting on that phone first thing in the morning. That's been like a huge game changer for me. Yeah. Um, and it was so difficult to pull away from that because it, it also took me a while to get away from the hustle culture. I was born and raised in New York and mm-hmm. to make it and to get somewhere and to, you know, just, just do the hustle day to day, whether, you know, growing up in Spanish Harlem or, or anywhere across the the five boroughs, it was like, you got to hustle. You got to be on a move. You always got to be doing something, thinking about somebody, shooting somebody an email, trying to network, trying to, th- but once it was like, to your point, once you wake up, it, it already begins this sense of mindfulness. Um, so I think that's huge. And then the second thing, what you mentioned, what you put in your mouth, it could it could be poisonous or it could be beneficial and medicinal because, I mean, that's how yeah. I perceive food. And I think once I started being more aware of that and saying, look, the things you put in your body, that, to your point, it fuels you. That is, those are the things that can give you that push, give you that go. And if you start looking at it more as, oh, this is fuel for the body and 
possibly in certain cases betterment or you know what when it's cold and flu season or apparently soon to be cold flu and COVID season <laughs> every year that it's like, <laughs> then you, you know, you, you add certain yeah. things to your regimen, whether it's, you know, ginger or turmeric or these other anti-inflammatories. Yeah, it's, it's nourishment. Thank you. That's the word. Like everything is nourishment. It's not, you know, yeah. it's what you see. It's what you eat. Yeah. It's also who you talk yeah. to. It's also what you're reading. Yeah. Sometimes what you're listening to, it's like every all these different stimuli literally nourish, yeah. you know, getting the proper sun in the morning, you know, is nourishment because it helps your circadian rhythms. It's just like basic things like that. And I think it's like, you don't have to be overbearing and like, you know, you have to, you have to be super methodical about everything. Cause then that's just like, we're all going to die anyway. What's the point? <laughs> then that becomes, you know, bad in itself, but it's just to understand that there are things under your control. Stop mm. thinking. Stop always using essentially excuses. There are things that are completely under your, not under your control, right? That so you can't figure out mansion and Biden and the Build Back Better right, plan. Right. So you're stressed out over this or that, or you know what your boss is thinking this or that. But it's like, all right, let me hold up, take a step back. It's like, what is actually under my control that I can do every day that might make make me feel better? And to be honest, from at least people in our position. You cannot legitimately say that what you eat is not under your control, especially if you have disposable right, funds, right? right? We're not talking about people in food deserts, all this right. stuff that people, you know, it's, there is a large section of this country who just don't do things and complain a lot. And it is what it is. They have disposable time, they have disposable funds. And there's every day that there are things under your control that you can do. You can decide whether or not to utilize that phone. And you're like, oh, I just don't have the willpower. You can decide to put it in another room. You can decide that I'm going to drink water, right? Mm -hmm. You can decide to move your body. Oh, I just don't feel like it or this right. or that or I have right. this issue. Da, da, da. There's one day you have to wake up and you just have to take ownership of your life. Mm. And it's a hard truth, but it is what it is. And then you realize that you can then go help other people. But I just think that's the honest discussion that we have to have. Is that certain? A lot of people who are, especially the middle class, creative bourgeoisie <laughs> class, just don't take ownership. Yeah. They don't. And I, you know, a lot of even my friend groups, all this stuff is just that one day you have to decide that I'm going to take ownership and certain, in certain areas it will be harder than others, but then just figure out the ones that are relatively easier for you. Right. And it's just, I don't know. And, and that's what I just want to push people to do that. It's like, okay, I get that it's hard, but if you're legit going to tell me whether it's with me or someone else that you can't, Move your body for five or 10 minutes a day from a free workout that's given online, whether it's not just mine, but apps and all this stuff. You're going to legitimately say to yourself, I can't do that. Then you need to take a look in a mirror and say, why do you think that? Mm. Why is that pathology present? And that's what I'm trying to figure out and not get overwhelmed with and frustrated, especially with black people, because it, it so many things impact us so much yeah. more, right? Whether it be blood pressure, diabetes, uh, uh, the wealth gap, all these things, then it is, you know, not to get into like the talented 10th or whatever <laughs> thought process, but there are people where, like us that are better off or have the ability to do these things. And I think it's of greater importance for us to then say that we're going to mm. do them, right? Yeah. Like, you know, Fred Hampton was killed in his bed just because one day he decided to wake up and say, I want to I want to bring the young lords together. I want to do this. I want to do that. One could say, well, he was anointed by God or something. But one could also say that he saw something that pissed him off. So he decided one day to wake up and try to make a yeah. difference. Yeah. And if you it's not that you have to get out there and change the world, but we can no longer take for granted or as an excuse that we don't have power over our world. Mm. And then just feel disenfranchised because what's constantly happening around us is that you have to franchise yourself. You're your franchise. Yeah. You're, 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 the, you're the owner of your franchise. That is you, you know, you LLC. So <laughs> that's the yeah. thing that I just want to get people to help realize. Right. Because and I get very passionate about it because it's so confusing to me, you know, because it just seems that people are, are, are stuck. But even I got on a work call the other day and never met this guy and he, but he was, he wanted to possibly work on something. And he was like, yo, you inspired me to lose 95 pounds. Right. I never met this man in, in my life, but there's something that he saw that I put out there that he, he was like, all right, I'm going to make a decision to figure this yeah. out. He lost 95 yeah. pounds. And I'm not saying everybody has to have on a, go on a 95 pound journey, but 
everybody has the ability to, to, to decide. So in the same way, it's like I just kind of made a decision one day because I was tired, fed up and feeling shitty. Yeah. Uh, that's what, you know, I just think is important. And that's what I just think is also, you know, the implications of, of, of wellness for black people is that the space is being co-opted, of course, by, by, you know, whiteness, which is a dominant culture. Um, but it's that it's a revolution. Mm. This what this what you know you know you can't you got to sugarcoat it a little bit. Sure, sure. It's a revolution. Yeah. It is the start of the revolution. Is wellness, and it's not about some product. It's not about matcha. It's not. It's a revolution, and that's that. That's what I'm trying to help galvanize. Even if it's just a revolution of one of you taking care of yourself. Damn, I love it. I think I'm gonna leave it there. Because I, I also feel like we we can now start going. I, I feel like right now is like now you just turned up and I, I feel the <laughs> emotions clicking in. But but again, <laughs> I do want to be respectful of the time. I'm not going to you know hold you publicly to a part two or anything, but I will say I love this conversation. No, I mean, I'll come you back. Wouldn't? I mean, you, you got good questions. So a lot of other people, I won't come back. But I'll come <laughs> back to this. And it's because it's just important. It's important, man. So appreciate the time. Absolutely. You also echoed something. Um, are you familiar with Sean Stevenson of the Model Health Show? Uh, yes. On ending on this note, you echoed a lot of his sentiment, uh, and it, albeit in a in a bit of a different way and and perspective, of course. Um, but you both essentially came to the same thing. He he said it at the top. You said it at the end of this conversation, but. Um, that that is something I want to tap into more, and with our next conversation. Wait, but what is it? What what, what is it? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, just being. Is well, <laughs> you said you LLC, and he yeah. actually said, you know, for himself, he he had the notion one day I have to figure this out. So he had a he had a condition. He went to about. I, I don't know what the specific number is and it maybe let's call it five different doctors that all told him, you know, he had some, um, degenerative bone disease and no one could figure out what he had. And they, and he was, he was an athlete and in college and they said, uh, we can't help you. This is going to be it. You're never going to walk again. You won't be able to play sports again. So tough luck, figure it out. And he just said, no, there's got it. Somebody's got to give me an answer. There's got to be a way. So he essentially took it upon himself and he was like, I got to figure this out. So he, he goes online one day, he Googles what he thinks he has, what's the, the, um, the symptoms and what things leads to another. He goes to this one and it was not a, it wasn't a holistic doctor, but it was a chiropractor. Let me just 30 seconds segue. There's something interesting about chiropractors and their knowledge because they it, it, they tend to come up a lot and there tends to be this, this, this secondary set of knowledge or principles and insight that they have that has nothing to do with <laughs> the thing at hand or the task at hand that they do, be that as it may. So that this was her case. So she said, oh, you should look into X, Y, Z. And, uh, one of the things she did point out to him was his diet. And like, like we alluded to earlier, he, he grew up in St. Louis. He grew up in a food desert. Um, I won't say I grew up in a food desert, but pretty damn close. And same thing. He was like, once he started changing that diet, once he started going back into movement, once he started picking up, Oh, wait a minute. I know what this thing is. So let me take this supplement. Oh, there's that supplement. Let me take more of this. Let me do more movement. Let me change my eating habits. And then quote unquote, air quotes, magically, you know, things start to change. He starts to better himself. That of course, you know, inspires him to take this path of research. So he's a, um, he's a researcher, uh, for medical science, like 20 years into the game now. So for him, that's been his path of, well, why did these doctors tell me this didn't work? So, you know, again, going back to what you're saying, the ULLC, he took it upon himself to say, 
I got to figure this thing out for myself. Now, what I don't want are people waiting to get into this situation. Yeah, because it seems like what I find interesting is like all these people who end up either hitting it big or people find super inspirational, right? Were those that were always at the at the at brink the br- of bankruptcy. Yeah. You know, this I'm glad he's figured it out, but it's like he was at a brink of such some sort of debilitating disease or, you know, David Goggins and his yeah, story yeah. seems like he was at the brink of like bankruptcy. Yeah. The, the question becomes, it's just like, what if your business could just be better? Like, why have a mediocre business if, if the keys are right there? So I mm. think what needs to click for a lot of people is like, you don't need to be in dire straits for you just to be be better. Yeah. It's like, you don't need to be, a, you don't need to get the progress report of failure for you to say, all right, let me turn this around and try to get an A. Right, right. So that's what I think I'm trying to like figure out. It's like, well, you don't need these cra- I don't know. I, I don't know. Like why if people just connect to extremes a bit better, even in the same way on Instagram, right? You have say people in the health and fitness who are just like flexing the whole time or just completely shirtless. They seem to have big audiences. Like why do people just connect with the, the, the extremes or why do people connect with, you know, the Dave Asprey's of the world, formerly a bulletproof yeah. and just like is contrarian. It talks a lot of <laughs> shit. It's just like, and that's what I'm so yeah. confused about, yeah. you know? And, you know, that's a discussion for another time. But to that point, it's like, yeah, take take ownership and you might not be able to figure it out all, in, all at once. But, you know, doctors are nothing more than consultants in the same way, you know, business brings in a consultant. Yes. It's like utilize those structures. Yes. So that doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, but I do think it's going to be important. And I do think, you know, people should take just a little bit more ownership and then you should help them do that. You should open, like my thing is just open source the playbook. Mm. Like put it out there, help people get it. And uh, not uh, not to rely on you, but instead to like figure it out for themselves. But yeah, I appreciate the time. Hopefully you have a time for another chat. I hope you know, the listeners uh, appreciate this too and they learned a few things. So I uh, appreciate you having me, David. Yeah, thanks again, brother. Thanks for making the time. Thanks for going man to man with me. Fam, you can follow Joe at Ocho System, O-C-H-O-S-Y-S-T-E-M on Instagram. Is that your handle for other platforms as well? Twitter, are you on? Uh, Twitter is Joe Holder, Joe Holder. underscore. Okay. Yeah, Instagram is mainly just for me to diffuse the, the knowledge, you know? Yeah, but yeah, yeah um, I'm there. Maybe I'll get on TikTok one day. I guess I need to. But I'm also at exercise underscore snack if you just really want simple, easy workouts that you could utilize on the day-to-day. Uh, but yeah. All right, brother. Well, thank you again. And Black Love Fam, make sure to tell another brother, king, or queen about Man to Man so we can keep these conversations going and keep building each other up. And if there's someone you want to hear on Man to Man, connect with me on Instagram at Waziki, W-A-S-I-C-K-I. Till next week, peace, love, and if not you, then who? Who?